I'm Paul Heron, and this is episode 34 of the Ani Eastneen podcast. Today we're celebrating two things. Ani Eastneen's 116th birthday, and the release of a brand new anthology of a cafe in space, the Ani Eastneen Literary Journal. As you may know, the final annual issue of A Cafe in Space came out last year, a plump volume filled with work from many people, Neen people, Miller people, Durrell people, and beyond. It was the last chance to be a part of the 15-year journey that began the year of Ani East Neen's centennial, and contributors responded. But now, we have just released a big, bold, and beautiful anthology of those 15 volumes, consisting of the best representations of the kind of work published in a cafe in space. In the anthology, some 33 authors are included. Anna Eastneen herself, Henry Miller, Hugh Geiler, Joaquin Neen, Rupert Pohl, Alfred Perlis, Neen scholars from around the world, writers, poets, storytellers, and artists, who all have one thing in common an appreciation for the woman who is perhaps the most famous diarist and erotic writer in literary history. Ani Eastneen has always been at the center of things, a sort of gravitational force that attracts, even today, those of a certain mind, a certain way of being, like planetary dust which forms a literary world in which one can not only survive, but thrive. I'm one of those people, And I've been fortunate enough to have been able to offer others a place where we could gather and share ideas and sometimes even argue, that place being a cafe in space. And the anthology itself symbolizes this cafe phenomenon better than anything I can think of. But first, here's the story of how a cafe in space began. In April of 2002, Gunther Stuhlman, Ani Eastneen's longtime agent, who published an incredible 19 issues of Ani East's International Journal, died, leaving a huge void in Neen's studies. A few months later, I was delivering a paper on Neen's cultural heritage at the Lawrence Duro Conference in Ottawa, when a friend, the Miller publisher, Roger Jackson, implored me to take up the slack and publish my own Neen journal. Because Gunther Stuhlman was, for me, a tour de force, a god almost, there was a lot of self-doubt about how I could fill such huge shoes, how I could possibly live up to the standard he had set. But Roger, who is a tour de force in his own right, planted the seed in my head. And a day or so later, I sat in on the meeting, at a cafe of course, between Roger and James Decker when they hatched the plan for Nexus the International Henry Miller Journal. Talk about inspiration. It was right about then I knew I had to give this Neen Journal a shot. 2003 was an important year for Annie's Neen lovers. It was, after all, the 100th anniversary of her birth. On February 21st, I had the unique opportunity to visit her famed house in Louveciennes, a half-hour west of Paris by train. My comrade, Jacques Lai, the town historian, had introduced himself to the new owner of the recently renovated house on 2 bis Rue de Montbuisson, the actor and director Jean-Yuan Glad. 
Jacques must have made quite the impression, for not only did he get himself invited to the house, he also got permission for me and several others to come too, and not on just any day, but on Nien's 100th birthday. That visit, which I have mentioned frequently and posted about, was the seed for an article I would write for the first volume of a journal that didn't yet exist and was just an idea. But reality looked me in the face. Where would I find contributors? How would I find an audience? And would it be possible to have the first volume ready before the end of Neen's centennial year, only months away? I turned to Barbara Stuhlman, Gunther's widow, who had become a friend of mine. Not only did she bless the idea of picking up where Gunther left off, but she also gave me the names and addresses of those who had submitted articles for what would have been a special centennial double issue of On the East and International Journal. I wrote to each of them, and just like that, I had a half dozen or so articles for the first volume. But things really heated up by the time I got to a Neen Centennial celebration in Santa Barbara in April of 2003, to which I'd been invited to speak. The lineup was formidable. Kazuko Sugasaki, who was Rupert Paul's lover and Anais Neen's Japanese translator, spoke about what it was like to translate Neen's work and why one does it in the first place. She insisted it was because of love. There was Tristine Rayner, who was Neen's self-declared apprentice and friend late in Neen's life, who spoke of their special relationship. Aaron Sito, a free-spirited young woman who loved Neen, recited a poem called True to Character about diary writing, which blew me away, and the rest of the audience, too. Karen Fennell, who had invited me to the conference in the first place, spoke of her friendship with Neen. But the talk that was the most impactful was given by Janet Fitch, who addressed the crowd on how she discovered Neen in a junior high school English class when a male substitute teacher challenged the students to name a single woman writer, and no one could until a girl yelled out, What about Annie East Neen? My own talk went well until a video clip from the film Henry and June was mute, thanks to a bumbling sound engineer, and I had to speak Annie East's words, Fuck you, Jack when the Miller character informed Ani East on how to respond to a puritanical moviegoer. That awkward utterance may have gotten the biggest laugh of the day. Even the ladies of a certain age sitting way in the back were giggling. But for me, the important thing about this event was that I had just witnessed live presentations of what would become articles in the first issue of the new Neen Journal, which I had decided to call a cafe in space after a term Neen used to describe, under the sign of Pisces, the very first Neen journal. The fact that these important people agreed to submit their work was a real confidence booster. So by this time, I had articles from several prominent writers and scholars, and a travelogue of my visit to Lucien. But this imaginary issue still seemed incomplete. That, however, would soon change. Through Sharon Spencer, a Neen scholar and close friend of Neen, I had become acquainted with Joaquin Neen Kumel, Anais's younger brother, back in 1997. I remember the first time I heard his voice. On Sharon's request, I was to ask him to write a preface to her novel that I was about to publish. I normally would have written, 
but he was in Spain working on his opera, La Celestina, and Sharon had given me the number of the place where he was staying. So, I called, knowing no Spanish except my broken version of May I Speak with Joaquin. Somehow it worked. And when Joaquin picked up the receiver, I was stunned by the youthfulness of his voice, the energy of it, and the sense of joy beneath it, a joy that seemed to be natural, innate. We had a delightful conversation during which he not only agreed to write the preface to Sharon's book, but also extended an invitation to continue our conversations in the future. In 2002, Joaquin suffered a stroke, one severe enough to prevent him from composing or even playing the piano. Listening to music itself had become too painful for him, but we still continued to talk on the phone, some days being better than others. When I knew I would be in California for the centennial of his sister's birth, the idea of a visit to his Oakland home came up. When I mentioned it, he was enthusiastic, and we arranged an afternoon the day after the conference. But there was a complication. Joaquin seemed to hate Rupert Pohl, and by association, Gunther Stuhlman, probably because of their decision to release the controversial diary, Incest. Right after the conference, I was visiting with Kazuko and Rupert, and Kazuko had just given me the manuscript of what would become the unexpurgated diary mirages to consider editing. This was something so valuable that I could hardly hold it in my hands without trembling. How could I swing a visit to Joaquin without ruffling feathers? Ani Issa's example inspired me. I lived a mini double life for exactly two days. I said nothing about the visit to anyone in Los Angeles. And I said nothing to Joaquin about Rupert or Kazuko. And I left Gunther out of the conversation altogether. Looking back on it now, I suppose this is all ridiculous. But at the time, I was not about to get anyone's nose on a joint. There was too much at stake. The visit with Joaquin was on a sunny spring afternoon in a modest but well-kept neighborhood at the house he had once shared with his mother. The place was spotless and decorated with images of his parents and Ani East, but most striking was the grand piano in the middle of the brightest room in the house, which was now silent. But Joaquin was having one of his good days. He was cheerful and accommodating to me and my wife, offering us a tour of the house, fruit juice, giving us permission to take pictures and talk freely. Our conversation became the fodder for a piece of the puzzle that was missing from a cafe in space a talk with a neen who remembered things from nearly 90 years before. He remembered his father taking him and his siblings up to the attic for beatings while his mother stood on a stairway, locked out and screaming. He remembered living in the house in Lucien. He remembered how much he detested one of the most important figures in Anais's life, Henry Miller, to whom he referred as that bald guy no one reads anymore and a sad sack. He also praised Deidre Bear's biography on his sister, saying that Bear was able to reveal, as he put it, the horrible things I always suspected about my sister in a way by which I could still love her. He remembered Ani East as a wonderful big sister, and he acknowledged the fact that he was a real brat as a young child. The conversation ended as the sun was getting low in the sky. As we were leaving, he said the visit was a prize winner and certainly something I treasure to this day.
But even with an article about the visit, something was still missing from the first volume of A Cafe in Space. Something from whom? Or about what? The answer was something from Ani East herself. Now, as I mentioned, Kazuko had entrusted me with the Mirage's manuscript, which had been rejected by publishers near and far. As I got into it, I was stunned by its sexual frankness and Anise's obsession with multiple young lovers, the first of whom was a painter and dreamer named John Dudley. Her affair with him, which started innocently enough, was so richly described in this manuscript that I felt, perhaps, it may have been what I was looking for. I excerpted and edited it, but I was still undecided. Perhaps it was too much, or not enough. I had to think about it. In August of 2003, I paid a visit to Barbara Stuhlman for the purpose of helping her distribute the unsold copies of Gunther's journal. This entailed big boxes filled with many volumes loaded into our PT cruiser and driving 13 hours back to Michigan from the Berkshires in Massachusetts. But just after we had loaded everything up, we were exhausted, and I sat down at Gunther's basement desk. To my surprise, I caught a glimpse of a photo of a young man posing in front of the very mansion, Hampton Manor in Virginia, where Neen had spent a good deal of time with John Dudley in 1940. I realized I had just found a photo of Dudley himself, and not just one, there were several. If I needed a final push into publishing the diary excerpt in a cafe in space, this was it. It was almost miraculous. What are the odds that these photos would appear at that time and under those circumstances? A month later, Volume 1 of A Cafe in Space was in print, filled with the gems I had discovered along the way. But what would the response be? It's sometimes hard to predict when you're in the middle of it. The answer came from Ben Franklin, the preeminent Neen scholar, who declared A Cafe in Space a worthy successor to prior Neen journals. Others did, too, and it was then I knew there would be a volume, two. What I didn't anticipate at the time was that there would be 15 volumes in all, each one special in its own way. There was the issue with the Deidre Bear interview, the one with the never-before-seen photos of the infamous come-as-your-madness party, the one with the manga version of Under a Glass Bell, another with recently discovered letters between Neen and her father during the incest period, yet another with John Farone's account on how Henry and June, the book, came about, and another about how Delta of Venus almost never was. I could go on and on. This brings us back to the anthology, a 400-page representation of the work that appeared in the 15 issues of A Cafe in Space. It covers everything from Janet Fitch's introduction to Neen to Eduardo Pineda's fascinating study of Elba Oara, the Peruvian dancer who vexed Neen's affair with her husband Gonzalo Moray. From Neen's French translator Beatrice Comanger's tour of Miller Haunts in Paris to Stephen Rain's interview with the husband of the lost Neen biographer Evelyn Hins. So many riches contained within the covers of a single tome. This is the final leg of the odyssey that began the day Roger Jackson said, you should do this. You should do a new Neen journal. It was good advice, Roger. Thanks for that. 
You can order the anthology of A Cafe in Space, as well as individual volumes, on Amazon.com or at www.skybluepress.org. This has been the Ani Eastneem Podcast. Thanks for listening. Until the next time.